Hey everyone, welcome to Parallel Leaders Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. We have a vision to come alongside you and your organization and your leadership. And we do that by following and investing in the eight growth points. The eight growth points, again, are the leader must grow, the team must grow, your systems must grow, your numbers must grow, your finances must grow, you must grow your expectations, you must uh, grow facilities, and your culture must grow. Today, we are diving into a deeper look at the eight growth points with a, a great conversation that I have with an incredible entrepreneur. Her name is Jen Tribble, and she is the CEO and founder of My City Care, which is now spans across uh, 10 different communities and physical, physical locations, as well as uh, reach into 36 other communities as well. So let's, without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Jen Tribble. Well, I'm ex so excited to have this conversation. Joining with me today is Jen Tribble. She is the CEO and uh, founder, entrepreneur extraordinaire of My City Care. Uh, uh, no exaggeration on that, Jen. You're uh, amazing. I uh, love watching you work and watch what you've done with My City Care. So, man, how, how old is My City Care now? Oh man, I think we are heading into our sixth year for sure on some of our programs and some of them a little bit longer than that. It's about six and a half years. Six and a half years. Okay. And and tell us a little bit about how it started. Yeah. Um, I think this is, well, this is partially your story to tell <laughs> and my husband, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, uh, you guys went to India way back in like 2016. I think we looked it up the other day because we yep. Not about it <laughs> and uh, compelled by a message that you guys had heard while you guys were doing some Bible college and teaching over in India on the Matthew 25 scripture verse, which a lot of us are familiar with, but some of you might not know. Um, Jesus is talking about the six areas of basic human need that apply to us all still today, being food, water, um, health, clothing, justice, and housing. And so we started programming that was based around all six of those basic needs, and we still do today. And that's a lot of our how we modeled the My City Care program. Okay, so so how did the what was the first program that you those six needs? Um, and so out of that message, you were inspired to start with a program. So what was the first? What was the first program? Uh, we started with the Shop of Wonders program. Uh, we were going through a Christmas series at the time where our church in Pastor Kelly was preaching and we were preaching on the Matthew 25 verse and we were sharing about these six areas of need and compelling people to get active in their communities and doing things like clothing drives and fill a fridge. And one of the initiatives that came out of that was the Shop of Wonders initiative. So that was the first year we were giving out toys and hampers, but we really felt like we could elevate that experience and take it to the next level where families would be a participant in that. So it wasn't something, it was just us handing out something throughout the program, but we were getting to know the families, we were spending intentional time with the families, and just really creating that dignified experience. So Shop of Wonders was birthed out of that heart, and today what we do and what we started with the, the next year after that was we would take a retail space and just decorate it top to bottom like a toy shop. We had our volunteer teams dress up like Christmas elves, and they got the whole experience from coming through to getting hot chocolate and apple cider to picking out stocking stuffers for their kids, all the way through to 
getting big gifts and gift wrap and just like having an amazing time. And the big part of Shop Wonders is the experience. They do, right. they do get their needs met, but the big thing is that we want them to walk away feeling uh, the value and worth that God has on their life and that sense of dignity that comes from that. All right. So just so that people get an understanding of, of my city care today. All right. So it started off then the first year, six and a half years ago, started off with just hampers and supplying some needs. The next year it turns into one location, one event with putting on the shop of wonders, which is the Christmas experience, which dignity is a big, big part of your drive and, and providing needs, not just providing needs, but providing it with dignity as, as well. Okay, so so that's now we're at five and a half years ago, and since then, okay, now you're in ten different uh, communities, at, that physical locations, ten different communities, uh, uh, and you're now you've got programs. How many programs are you running now? Um, I would honestly have to go back and take stock of how many because there is that many. Um, I would say throughout the year. It depends on the locations, but we have three major programs that go on throughout the year. Plus, we do an event called Night to Shine. So you can say those are four major programs that we do consistently to create momentum and just community engagement, high community engagement and volunteers. And then throughout the year, um, we have offices that are open that provide outreach services that give out clothing and food and different things. I would honestly have to go back and check the numbers for you because yeah. there's that many. But. Yeah, there are. Um, and, and now also besides the 10 physical locations that that you are operating out of 10 different communities, you also service 36 additional communities to those with through My City Care event. So here we are. Like that's, that's what I'm talking about in celebrating you and your entrepreneurial push uh, a year ago you were in five locations and now you're now you scaled really quickly which leads us into our conversation so those listening to it because you're very familiar with we've been working on the eight growth points that we've been talking about in this uh, month as our theme and now we're looking at the scalability of everything that's going on and now you have some questions of pressing into the eight growth points and where we go from here so Let's dive into to some of those questions and what, what. Um, yeah. I just want to say too that I love the eight growth points because they change with every season. So in one season we're having this conversation and it completely changes in the next. So this conversation when we were at five sites that were our own campuses completely changes now when we're talking about bringing on additional communities that aren't necessarily even in our organization. So we're talking about culture things. We're talking about systems problems and so that kind of leads me into my first question so okay. jump into a brand new community and you're looking at all eight growth points where would you focus first all right so any any time that you're expanding into a, a new community the first and foremost thing it's almost like top down on the eight growth points again you know i would start with the leader you want to have the right point person cuz the leader is going to you know attract the right team is going to develop the right systems you know eventually he's going to you know it'll establish the proper culture so you want to make sure that the leader that you put into or you know into any new department but especially if you're if it's in a different community than you're operating now you want to make sure that that leader encompasses your culture and uh, your best practices is adapting your systems and all that. So I would start with 
with the leader and then you're around that leader, that leader is going to be able to recruit the right team. So, and I would help that leader recruit the initial team as well and establish that team around there because just one leader by themselves is going to have a difficult time launching something to the scale that you operate on is you're going to want to maybe plant a team or definitely recruit a team that is going to, is going to be, um, be able to surround. And most of all, it's, it's vital. And you know, this and how, how you operate with my city care is, is dignity is a big deal, but the culture of what my city care does is what separates it apart. So that's going to be, that's going to be first and foremost. So before sending that leader in, make sure you're doubling down on culture and training and teaching in the, in the culture. Yeah. So in trying to identify the right leader, what would you look for as like something super practical that we could apply that would be the right leader? Yeah. So the right leader is going to be somebody. So if there's somebody in that community already, that's got a passion for that community and they're already there and they're saying, they call you up and saying, Hey, could we do my city care here? I, I would want to bring that person in uh, and either work alongside an existing my city care operation and and work with existing my city care staff and be able to so that they could work alongside and then you're going to watch and see if you know they're going to learn but you're also watching to see if they've got the fruit and and all that but if there's somebody that you know and is trusted i would then you know and i know that you've done this with with medicine hat because you've gone into medicine hat and have have you know we had a leader that was there that said hey could we do this here and very wise and how how you did that, but you sent a team in to set up the first event or two and then had them kind of participate with an existing team that got sent in to be able to do that to see how things operate and, and what th- where, where things go. So either bring that leader in or send a team to to run the first program that you're going to run or first number of programs you're going to run until you're confident that you have the right leader and that they understand the culture um, and the systems that that you operate with. I love that. Um, if you were so, say you brought on a leader who wasn't getting the culture, and you're working with them and developing them and mentoring them, and you just realize, okay, they're not necessarily going to be the right fit for it. What would you do to help them either develop into the right fit, find their better seat on the bus, so to speak, or do they need to go? I, yeah, there, that's a great question. I think each situation, each person is good. If we've got an attitude problem or a major culture clash that you're going, this this culture is not going to reflect, then I would probably move on from that person. Um, if And I would, you know, biggest attribute that I would look for in a potential leader or influencer in a new, is teachability. Are they teachable? Can we teach them uh, uh, the culture and systems until they get it. If they're just not going to get it and there's attitude there that they're not teachable in this way, I would move on. I would not move necessarily away from that community. I would maybe slow the, the, how we're pushing in that community and how quickly you want to do it. And I would kind of watch for somebody that would come in or be interested, like that would, could come and be the point leader that this person could work with alongside with, but would then become the point person that would reflect the culture and, and develop the systems that the way that you'd want to do it. But you're, you're looking for teachability. If they're not teachable, um, you got to move on, but if they're teachable, you can work with anybody. Yeah. And we find that we 
Like we meet all sorts of people at all sorts of different capacity levels as we're doing this. So I kind of want to jump into a little bit about capacity. So yes. say we move into a community where we have a church group who is at a lower capacity point, not necessarily because they like, they just haven't been taking on as much as they like we have in the last few years. So how do we help develop other people's capacities, their group capacity? Because that also is different. So their church culture might not be able to sustain where they're at or where they're going. So right. how do we develop that in the individual and how do we do, uh, develop that corporately? Yeah. So capacity, developing capacity is a, a big, um, <laughs> it's a, that's a big key and that's a big uh, strategy that it, it takes a while to unpack. But Basically, what I would do is is if you identify a group that doesn't have the capacity that we're looking at doing, you you slow down uh, your your what you're able to do, uh, slow it down. But I would insert um, insert team or leaders in to that situation that would then uh, they could, would basically model the capacity or the expression that you're doing. So you bring somebody into that team. That is going to that you know is high capacity. That's going to push that team um, a, a little bit more. And you don't want to push them to to explosion. You want to push them to to stretch. Like they're going to stretch. And then once they see and taste the capabilities of it and what can do, uh, then you then you uh, then you've got something there. Another thing, if there's if capacity is often capacities of teams especially, um, and capacity of an individual is we now go to grow yourself and leadership development. And so then, then I would, you know, get, send them to conferences, send them podcasts, give them books, do something that's going to grow themselves. So that that's in individuals in the eight growth points is grow yourself. It's the leader. So you got to stretch your capacity. All of us, that's what personal growth is all about. Stretching your capacity. Group capacity is often a reflection of systems. And so it, it then if we have a, a group that is capped in their group capacity, that's often more often than not a reflection of uh, limiting systems. And so that would be something that I would go in and, and inspect and, and question and teach on systems and then begin to, you know, bring in other systems that would open up the capacity of, of the group as a whole. And oftentimes, so yeah, if you're, if you got a capacity thing, <laughs> limit, a lid, then I would look at that capacity lid and going, is this individual? Is this a leader lid? Okay. Then I'll train the leader. Is this a group capacity lid? Then I would, I would focus on systems. That's awesome. Well, that segues perfectly into my next question. So as we're scaling and looking at different things, uh, what are the main systems that you would focus on as we go into a new community or as we're dealing with the new group that wants to take on something like my city or potentially church planting or things like that what would be the systems that we would need to evaluate i would i would um you're basically in the franchising mode of things where we're you're scaling now where it's more than just our business or you know partnered businesses now you're looking at franchise so in franchising, um, there's a great book uh, on franchising called "The E Myth Revisited," um, and uh, it's it's fantastic on franchising and the purpose behind franchising. But basically, you're looking at the systems rather than just at the individual systems now of one community. You're now looking at systems that are basically from a hub that are now 
easily transferable to wherever. So you're basically creating the where I would go is create a manual or manuals of the programs that you could then, you know, give to the startups or give to each one that would be kind of the idiot proof guide to to running Shop of Wonders or running one of, you know, Night to Shine or running one of the programs, the multiple programs that you're running and give it to them as, as and then train them in that system, but, but make it in such a way where it's, you're not having to be at every location, but you can have a binder or manuals or, or, um, you know, videos or some, some sort of education system that they, they can go and do it. So when you travel the world and you get a Starbucks in, and I've done it, I've gotten a Starbucks in China and I've gotten Starbucks in Thailand and I've gotten Starbucks in Africa and I've got Starbucks in, in, you know, the same across the street at home here. You're right. I can, I, I can get the same service, same expectation, all the rest of it. Well, how in the world do these franchises do it? If they're able to do it, then we're able to do it as well. Well, a lot of what they do is they have manuals that are the ingredients of, of, of creating systems that, um, that are transferable, that are teachable and they don't have to be there. Howard Schultz doesn't have to be at every location in China. He's not visited all these locations, but there is a, a manualist system that's put in place, including you go to every Starbucks, they ask you your name and every drive through now they're asking, so, Hey, what do you got going on today? And all these different conversations you're going, that's not just a friendly, that they're actually training in, in dignity, they're training in conversation and that's part of it. So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, the founder, it's, um, it's a story of, yeah, I did watch that one. Yes. Yeah. It's a great story of, of the you know Ray Kroc and and development of the system of franchising McDonald's and and he went so far as developing a a, te- a template of what the building would look like where, and how the flow would work so that they could de- you know and all that the 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 menus and and the ingredients and the the layout and the flow the training all of that was they they systematized that it could be duplicated anywhere it's so good uh, I have like so many questions now based off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first off, okay. You create resources kind of thing. How do you create buy-in on your team? So when you implement those resources, the teams that are already existing create like are invested in that and want to want to use the resources that you made. Yes. Well, that's culture. Now, now we're talking about culture and that's bringing, that's onboarding the right team, the right people. So we want to make it, we want to reward and you develop culture. Culture is all about behavior. We'll reward what we want repeated and we will, you know, we will challenge mediocrity and we will penalize, you know, what is off culture and what is not right behavior. So you want to reward, promote, um, create more opportunities, celebrate whatever the rewarding is more than just financial, but reward people that are hungry and buying in and, and running the system, celebrate them. That that creates a behavior that is clear to everybody else what you want done and that you want it to do. And then and then somebody who, who doesn't follow the manual, doesn't do the thing, then it's definitely going to be challenged and and all that. I mean, there's there's very practical things like you know if someone wants to to start a my city care in their town, you're saying here's our expectations up front. Here's what you need to do, and then and then even having that you know a um, you know an operation um, you know paper that they, this is an, an 
operation, you know, understanding, a memorandum of understanding of this is what it takes to run it, and you will agree to do these things, and including that memorandum of understanding is that you will take these manuals and you will learn them and watch them and, and implement them according to our standards and not cut corners. And yeah, these are things that are non-negotiable. These are the things that are, are negotiable. So good. You're like reading my mind when it comes to these questions. I'm just going to ask you, what are your non-negotiables? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, non-negotiables have, it depends on, on industry. So non-negotiable for you in, I know this, uh, and in the conversation already, we can see it. It's come up multiple times is, is we don't just provide services. We provide services with dignity. So a non-negotiable is we are not going to cut corners and, and make it impersonal. And we want to create as important as, as giving a hamper is we want to give a hamper with dignity. we like, so we will not become, you know, what, what sometimes can become as degrading, you know, services to the poor, and we want to do it with dignity. So a non-negotiable is that, you know, some of the, the other non-negotiables are, you know, when we run these programs, we run them together. This is how the program, you know, in the program, we run them together. We run them in this manner. This is why we run it this way manner. But the different locations and it that each one is a different location, different community. There's negotiables in in locations and the setup and the and the size of the locations and the the community that you're serving. So there are negotiables there, but there's certain non-negotiables. And one of the biggest thing is like, you know, we're going to work come alongside other agencies. We're going to provide dignity, and we are going to, um, yeah, and serve certain needs at certain times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to jump back to even just the conversation that we were having about capacity because I'm an Enneagram 8 and you're an Enneagram 8 and my natural tendency is to challenge people and I usually try to do it in the nicest way possible. (laughs) (laughs) Not always my gift. (laughs) I try. (laughs) So how do we, you had mentioned like we don't want to push people to the point of explosion or that. How do you know what are some signs that we can look for? that people are getting either to that point where it's like, we don't want to stretch them too much further, but we do have a certain level of expectation and balance of our standards of excellence. So how do we, in a healthy way, move people in that direction without causing an explosion? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one that I think benefits every team. We all have different capacity levels on all of our teams, but, you know, and leaders typically have, higher capacity, higher passion that, that drives with it. So I look at, at key examples on, on my team and saying, okay, who, who else, you know, am I pushing too hard? Then I know if there's others that are running with me, then I'm not, then, then I'm not running too fast, too far, too, too hard, but, um, there, and knowing full well, I think it was, um, uh, Jack Welch that said to you, right, there's, you need to be able to identify uh, you're going to have a top 20% that are going to be high capacity run with you. You're going to have the middle 70 and then you're going to have the bottom 10. And this is just kind of the way every team, every leadership works. So what he said is you want to reward your top 20 that are running with you and give them opportunities and, and all that. But you really want to focus on your middle 70 and your middle 70 is kind of going to give you that, that indication. So I'd look at the top of that middle 70 and going, okay, if I just push that top of that thing a little bit harder, a little bit more that they would then jump into the top 20% 
And you don't want to keep the bottom of that 70 from slipping into the bottom 10%. So you want to, you want to basically gauge your pace and your expectation and your, that, that capacity on making that set, that middle 70% of your team better and stronger and, and stretch their capacity. You're going to have to get rid of the bottom 10%. And Jack Welch goes so far as saying every year you got, you're going to have to get rid of the bottom 10. Um, but you're not trying to keep, again, that 70 from slipping into that bottom 10, but you're trying to push them to the, become the top 20. And so that's the group that you want to focus on, and that's the pace you want to run, and you want to push that group. You're not going to have any problem pushing the top 20. Not a problem at all. They're, they're with you. But you're going to want to focus on that middle 70 and push, push them um, and run at that pace and, and not burn them out, not push them into the bottom 10, but yeah. So would you say that if you see people sliding from that middle 70% into the bottom 10, you're pushing them out? No, not necessarily, but that's, that's an opportunity to then challenge them and saying, hey, you know what, you're, you're a valuable part of our team. I see this slip. Um, you know, differentiation is the term that Jack Welch uses and, and you can use it with your team and say, uh, I think it's in his book, Winning. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and, and he says, in, you know, in theirs that you challenge that bottom 70%, make it very aware and saying, hey, you're in danger of doing this. I don't want to lose you. Um, so I need this and this and this. Make it very clear what the next expectation is uh, on them so that they can avoid joining the bottom 10 that would get cut that's awesome and then um leading out of this i guess is we've talked a lot about creating um in this coaching kind of when we're coaching our teams and different things like that creating a table of truth um how do we how do like give context to that for people maybe that don't know and then also like how do we actually use that and create a more candid culture for coaching in our teams Right. So the table of truth is where we are going to not be afraid of addressing anything, anytime, anywhere with anyone. So that means that we can have candid conversations on our team that we're not, and a lot of that has to do with the culture that we create, but that we're not getting so personal in what we do and people aren't getting personal in what they do, that their, their highest value is on making the team better, the, the organization better. Not their highest value is on their own position or their own identity attached to the job that they're doing. We want to get to the, so, so we want to create a culture where we're candid and that is, that leads with us as leaders and allowing others to be candid with us and, and, and how we react to their candor is going to really, you know, determine whether or not we're going to create that culture. So if we overreact and get, you know, sensitive and emotional and all the rest of it, that's going to stop the table of truth in a heartbeat because people are like, Ooh, no, that's, that's no go zone. You communicate it. It's a no go zone and it stops the conversation. So you want to make sure that when people are candid with you, that your, that your, um, your response to that is going to encourage more candor rather than discourage more candor. So in that creating that culture is I would systematize uh, all the, you know, the table of truth and have meetings and, and, you know, use the six thinking hats. That's another book <laughs> recommending, I guess, but uh, about in the meeting and, and allowing everyone to black hat think, which is, is take the negative side and what could go wrong with this. Let's, let's, uh, you know, acknowledge the risks and the problems that we're needing to solve um, and have that and have that on a weekly basis. But I'd also say like twice a year, 
is have a, a meetings with your team and your staff one-on-one and, and be candid with them and, and evaluating with them and saying, you know, evaluating them again, like the differentiation saying, Hey, you're in my top 20. I want to reward you for the, da, da, da. you've done this and this and this and this. Well, um, I want to keep you there. So if you could work on this, you know, it would take you over the top middle 70. Hey, you're right there. You're close to our top 20. And, and if we had just changed this and adjust this, then it's going to be, this is going to be great. And I think a lot of times the table truth, the candor conversations that we have really as leaders, it comes down to us taking the time to be very, very clear in our expectations and making it very, very clear to our, our staff and our teams, our volunteers, that, that what our expectations are for the organization, but what our expectations are for each staff member. And if we're clear there, it's a lot easier to challenge and have conversations, call fouls when they're fouls and all that fun stuff. Is there some like tactical advice that you can give us eights for like calling fouls, but doing it in like a nice way? <laughs> yeah. Well, not everybody like eights like it straight to the point and blunt. Um, there's other, other personalities that are not that they don't like confrontation. Well, and so being aware of the different personalities on your team, how they handle confrontation, how they handle, uh, candid conversations and, and truth is, is vital to understand. And then you can approach each one with some care and, and no, you don't ever want to compromise the truth, but your delivery to some of the sensitive, more sensitive types is going to be different than, than it is to AIDS. Like we can, when you know, you've got somebody that's likes it blunt, give it to them blunt. That's, that's better. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. So have you ever encountered personally in your own leadership, like a leadership lid, and how did you get past it? Oh, absolutely. I, I encounter uh, lids all, you know, all the time. Um, and, and you know, as I've pastored throughout the years, this is the, you know, you get through every stage in every organization I've led is the largest organization I've ever led. So then you get to the place where it just, it stalls. And you're going, is it what's stalling? And number one thing that I look at all the time is have, have I reached my capacity as a leader? And when I identify that, where have I reached my capacity as a leader? Like what is the, the thing that if I developed the strength that I got better at or the area that I could improve in the most that would take that lid off of the organization and myself, then I invest a uh, time and money and find mentors that are gifted in that area and, um, you know, go to conferences that have people that are doing it and, and challenging that area and grow myself. And so, yeah, whenever I identify it and I do it all the time, you have to be very self evaluate, you know, evaluating yourself regularly, but then you get to the place of going, Ooh, yeah, no, I, this is overwhelming me or this is stressing me. That's, that's a sign of a capacity lid. If, you know, if there's, if I keep bumping out, I can't solve a problem. I keep, a problem keeps surfacing over and over and over again. And I just, it just keeps coming up. That's a capacity lid on me. So then what do I need to learn and grow in and develop so that I, that, that doesn't become a, the, can, a repeated problem over and over and over again. Yeah. I think that's been one of my, one of my biggest struggles is I constantly feel like I don't ever want to hit a lid. 
So then I'm constantly pushing further, but then sometimes that's been a detriment to my own like health and well-being. <laughs> well, and you bring up a really good point because something, when you reach capacity, like something has to give. And when, and if you, your if it's not your mental health, it'll be your physical health. If it's not your physical health, it'll be your relationship health, right? Uh, with family, spouses, or like there's something has to give. And so you need to, when you look at the capacity of yourself, it's not just looking at the capacity of yourself in your role uh, and your career. It's looking at what's my health capacity with my mental health capacity, with my relational health capacity, which my spiritual health capacity, where's the capacity? And, and are each one of those, like, are the, each one of those healthy? And if one of them is, is, is not, or there's tension in that area, then where do I need to, I need to grow in that area of my capacity and put my attention there so that if, because if you're, if your physical health gives out, it's going to affect your capacity to lead with the organization. If your relational health gives out and you're going through marriage troubles or problems with children, or it's distracting to your organizational health and, and your ability to lead on that end. So when you see those, identify those areas, it's not just in my career, in my leadership, in my abilities, it's it capacity is all across the board and making sure that each one of them I'm growing in and strengthening and focusing on. And you and I have been on a, a very similar journey together, physical health and 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 paying a lot of attention to that. And it's remarkable. Uh, we were just remarking about that not that long ago, about, about how when we focus on our our physical health, how much it's helped our mental uh, capacity to think and our energy levels and everything else. And we can run, and this is scary for all of our teams, but we can run at a faster pace because we 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 didn't realize, I didn't realize, and I don't think you did, that that our physical capacity was, we were hitting a roof there and that it was affecting how big of an effect that had on the organization. So those are, yeah, those are big. Yeah, I think it's like the eights. We like don't like to recognize that we have like weaknesses or that our bodies are finite. <laughs> we actually do have a limit there. <laughs> we do. We're, we're human. Hours. <laughs> yeah. So I think well, that's one of the biggest things I've learned in this season is how to, and it probably will change with every season, but just how to intentionally look at those rhythms and making sure that those are healthy so that it can sustain everything else. Because as an eight, I don't see, and one thing that I need help with is recognizing the indicators of like, okay, like, cause like I'll push past tired. Like that's normal for me. It's like, I'm just yeah. not, like I'm feeling a little bit tired, but I'm going to stay up for two more hours and finish this project and my body can just like deal with it. <laughs> I'll yep. have another cup of coffee and then just power through kind of thing. But really like those signals, like we need to be paying attention to those. There's a big difference between being tired and being weary and, and tiredness we can get over and we can recoup from being weary is, is detrimental and, and we'll keep, Yeah put a lid on it but it's been amazing watching you lead and it's been amazing you watching you ha- how you personally evaluate yourself and adjust and and make those movements and make sure that capacity is not in there so man thank you so much for for uh joining today and and for these questions great questions i'm i'm sure that those listening got lots out of this so thank you so much and thanks for what you do jen yeah love it 
What an incredible conversation with Jen. So much to take away in the questions that she asked. I love this idea of being able to mentor like this online. And if you are curious about My City Care and Jen as a leader, I encourage you to follow her on Instagram. Her hashtag is at Jen Tribble. That's J-E-N-T-R-I-B-B-L-E. You can find her on Instagram at Jen Tribble. Also, I encourage you to follow My City Care. If you're curious about what they do, what they've got, you can find them at parallelchurch.com slash mycitycare. Also, you can find them on uh, Instagram. Um, just search My City Care, and you'll see uh, each location has their own little page there as well. So find them on Instagram and learn more about that. One thing that I took away from our conversation today and the takeaway that we all want to leave with is that each season requires a different focus. When you look at the eight growth points, there's really different seasons that kind of highlight the weaknesses or the need for one or more of those those growth points. And what we learned today is that we want to evaluate our capacity limits. Evaluate our capacity limits. If you find that the your team is there's the capacity is personnel driven where there's one person or more on your team that is the reason for the capacity uh, ceiling then you need to invest in growing them or or if it's you that's the personnel that's the capacity lid on your organization then invest in growing yourself if you look at it and saying this is a corporate capacity lid then focus on growing your systems and it's going to be evaluating and and stretching and changing and growing your system. So the takeaway, each season requires a different focus and focus in by evaluating your capacity limits. Man, we so love this conversation today and we would love to have you on the podcast as well and have a conversation. If you'd be interested in being a guest on the conversation and like your questions to be answered uh, live as we go through uh, this conversation, this type of mentorship, you could be our guest. You, uh, just send us your questions and your desire to be on the podcast, and you can send that to parallelleaders.com uh, forward slash coaching. That's parallelleaders.com forward slash coaching. Man, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, would you please take the time to rate and review it? It helps us get this contact content out further. So just take the time to rate and review. And, uh, and also if you enjoyed this content, subscribe and we will send you emails that gives you updates on what is coming up on our podcast as well. Also, you can find us at parallelleaders.com for great blog content and more uh, leadership content that will help you grow you and your organization. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Parallel Leaders, where we help you target and evaluate your organization, leadership, or growth department under the microscope of eight growth points to optimize your effectiveness as a leader.